On today's episode of Still Processing, we take a look into Ramona Shelburne's latest story on James Harden and the drama this past season for the 76ers. And we also take a look at their latest edition, welcoming back sharpshooter Danny Green. All that and more on today's episode of Still Processing. Welcome to another episode of Still Processing, a 76ers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Chavalala, here with the man, Andy Quatch, NBA underscore Quatch Boy. Andy, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Ready to, ready to get going, ready to be over this James Harden drama and uh, just, just talk <laughs> ball, but this is where we're at right now in the, the stage of the offseason, so let's do it. Listen, we're gonna be. We are still processing this James Harden drama, but I don't think that we are. I don't think anyone's able to end it. We may be ready to end it. I just don't think we have that choice, unfortunately. Uh, still, so much that is left up in the air. You know, you have rumors that the Clippers are uh, basically not going to bid against themselves and let this situation play out as negatively for Philadelphia as possible. Uh, and then a very interesting nugget, uh, n- not even a nugget. It's, it's a whole tender. This, it was a long article. But Ramona Shelburne, ESPN Insider, uh, released an article on everything from uh, the sacrifices that James Harden felt he made to the feelings of betrayal that he felt from the Sixers organization, uh, stories with Doc Rivers, uh, how everything intertwines with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, uh, and, it, and it was a very interesting read, uh, so definitely do check that out on ESPN.com. But a lot in this story, when you look at the narrative of it, uh, a lot of it focuses around Harden's perceived concept of sacrifice and how much he sacrificed last season, how he took less money than he felt he deserved, how he did not play his style, uh, playing instead towards the strengths of Joel Embiid and how that basically took over his entire season and then only to result in him not getting the payday that he thought that he was due in the offseason with Philadelphia. Uh, Sounds like a frustrating concept, obviously, but it all hinges on the key fact. Did James Harden really sacrifice that much last season? Andy, what are your thoughts on just the concept of hardened sacrifice and, and to what level that was last season. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I do think Ramona Shelburne did a great job of posing the question in a, in a journalistic way, but she basically implied that James Harden's sacrifice was more a sacrifice in name than one in actual practice. And there's good reasoning for that. I mean, he was, he was looking for a long-term deal. He figured that he could, get some positive PR by taking a small pay cut and loading up for this, this past off season, which was slated to be one with big spenders and a a bidding war for a former MVP services. And it just didn't work out for him the way that he thought it would. And that's kind of what happens a lot of times when you make a sacrifice that you think is going to benefit you more in the end, because then it's not a real sacrifice. And that's just 
kind of for basketball, for life, everything. Like, if you're going to sacrifice, you got to sacrifice for real. Um, now, that's not saying that he didn't give stuff up. Uh, and I would say he actually sacrificed more on the court than off the court. I mean, for a lot of people, including even NBA players, $15 million is life-changing. Uh, for Harden at this point in his career, uh, it's still a significant amount, but with how he was planning to get a big payday this summer, that seemed like a logical small pay cut to take to boost his own interest around the league, show that he's a team player, he's willing to win and do whatever it takes and grab the big contract that way. So in my perspective, his sacrifices did come, and whether that was because of Doc or because of him, um, he did, He did, of course, you know, help Joel Embiid capture the MVP, um, deferred to him all season, and it, it kind of did end up costing them, like, the, the chemistry and the offensive flow they needed to get through the postseason. But, yeah, in my eyes, he did sacrifice, not in the way that he thought he would, um, the sacrifice for me was definitely on the court as opposed to in the pocketbook. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Now, you, you mentioned leaving $15 million on the table. That's assuming that that extra fifteen was actually there, of course, uh, which, I mean, it, it wasn't in Philly. Otherwise, they would have, you know, struck that deal, I would say, because the idea that Harden would – I buy him giving up uh, long-term security under the assumption that he's going to be gaining long-term security this offseason. And you're right. That's not true sacrifice. That's you know, what you call a calculated risk. Uh, the only thing is that I'm not too sure that the offer that he's been looking for has really been on the table since he was in Brooklyn. Uh, that's the kind of truth that I feel he may be denying himself. But uh, as far as the sacrifices on the court, it's very clear that he was playing in a, a much different play style than he envisioned himself in. Uh, and, and Ramon Shelburne even references many times Harden uh, alluding to the idea of, of playing mo- with more pace. Uh, that's something that plays very well into his particular style, or at least has historically. Uh, we did see in terms of a uh, score, a finisher, particularly kind of a downtick for James Harden this season. Uh, his, his assist numbers were still fine and good, but that's because he had basically an automatic weapon in Joel Embiid. So was it a, a bad role for Harden? It definitely wasn't. Was it a different role? Absolutely. It was. Uh, and is that a sacrifice? Truly. You can say it is for, you know, for Harden's historical play style and and how he would want to approach the game. Uh, But it's a very common sacrifice that players find themselves in uh, at this stage of their career. You know, once you reach these, these later years, these near mid 30, you know, age seasons, players have to change their games. You know, we've, we've seen that with uh, a variety of players over the years and, and James Harden, if he does want to win, likely he's not going to be able to be that number one scoring option uh, as we have heard recently is still his desire. So uh, he's even shown that he's not capable of doing that on a consistent basis. Is he capable of it on an occasional basis? Absolutely. We saw him light up Boston in the playoffs twice, Uh, but he just doesn't really have that same 
the same ability that he has in the past. And a lot of that's based around his, his lessened impact as a finisher, because with that downtick in athleticism, he's just not getting that lift that he used to. He's not able to sell that contact as much as he used to. And it's really affecting specifically statistically, but it's affecting his game overall as well. So uh, the sacrifice is definitely there, but it's, it's, it's almost more of a need than, uh, than a particular want from the Sixers at that point. So uh, Harden is going to need to kind of fall in line to some teams' uh, demands, essentially, for his new position or role, but that's a matter of whether or not he's going to listen really to anyone at this stage. But uh, he, he, according to Ramona, again, one interesting storyline this season was James Harden not being named an all-star. And this goes kind of hand-in-hand with how he managed to play with the Sixers last season because he played very well with the team. It just was a different James Harden than we've typically seen in the past. Uh, So many were surprised when Harden was snubbed. You know, I don't think many expected him to be a starter, uh, but to to be a reserve, I think, was was an expectation. So to hear that, and this is, again, according to Ramona Shelburne, that uh, Harden was offered the opportunity to replace, I believe it was Kevin Durant, uh, as a a player in the All-Star game due to injury, and then just kind of sit on it for a little bit until he eventually decided that he was willing to uh, accept that role, and he gave word back to, uh, to Adam Silver. Now, Harden has already refuted this story, and it's not surprising why, because the way that the story ends is that when he was finally ready to give that word to Adam Silver, Pascal Siakam was already asked, and so he became the uh, actual all-star replacement. But James Harden was very quick to refute specifically this part of the story. What it, it, It's tough with a lot of these off-season stories, you know, who to believe, um, what is just being used as leverage, everything like that. I'm just going to ask you your opinion, Andy. This story, does this sound, knowing the James Harden that you know, right? Or or I should say uh, the James Harden that you've experienced, right? Because let's be honest, we don't know the guy on a personal level. We don't want to act like we do. But the James Harden that you've experienced, does that fall in line with this story that Ramona Shelburne has uh, spun here? I mean, it definitely doesn't seem out of place. I mean, the, yeah, like you said earlier, the theme for Ramona's piece was sacrifices, but the underlying theme under that was that James Harden is kind of a huge brat. And, I mean, he's he's earned his status to be a superstar and a prima donna and a diva, just like all of the greatest artists we've known. Um, but, yeah, it, it definitely would not shock me that he would feel slighted as – to not get the nod for, uh, uh, I guess, a, a real all-star spot and would look at being named as an injury replacement as kind of a, a secondary choice and feel some type of way about that. And, like, to, to even feel that way, like, it, I guess it's not that huge of a deal. But what Shelburne said was that he, or at least his camp, decided not to respond and just kind of keep, silver and the league in limbo and wait and eventually they they just figured they couldn't wait anymore and they went with pascal um so yeah it it would not shock me and of course he has to refute it um i would do the same um but uh, i'm gonna side 
with my journalistic brethren here and say that Shelburne, I'm sure she didn't just make that up. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, it it's not as if the information isn't, you know, from a source material. Uh, whether or not that source is accurate, you know, that's always the question. Uh, this particular situation, I mean, we, we saw the guy basically wear the big mama's house fat suit in his Houston days. Uh, right. We've seen the pouting. We've, we've seen the lack of interest. Uh, so could that apply also to the idea of being an injury replacement for the all-star game? I don't think it's unrealistic to, you know, to, to say that that's a possibility. Uh, I, the one thing I will say is whether or not it truly matters going forward for Philadelphia. I don't think so because I, I think the bridge is just about burnt to a crisp at this point. Uh, but it is just another tally for other teams in the, do we really want this guy coming into our franchise? Do we really want him uh, impacting our locker room? So, and uh, I think that wherever you fall on this belief spectrum here uh, can in- influence your answer in that regard. And it's not even just, you know, whether or not he uh, basically gave the All-Star game a reverse snub, you know, felt he was snubbed, so he snubbed him back. Uh, but there's also other stories in here about uh, how he's approached uh, different situations and, and not flying with the team. I reference this one specific situation where, uh, the team had just lost, I believe it was to Boston and then to Miami as well, or I may have flopped those uh, those games. But as they were getting ready for another game against Miami, you know, and this was a real potentially rallying point for the team. They're getting ready to go down to Miami, and James Harden flies separate from the team so he can enjoy the nightlife. Uh, and it is important to mention that this is not it, it's not uncommon for players to occasionally fly solo to a destination. Uh, and it, like you know, I mentioned earlier, enjoy the nightlife or whatever. But uh, in this case, it just the timing was. Uh, we'll say if, if this played out as Shelburne laid it out, uh, poor timing uh, on James Harden's part. But what's really interesting is how it kind of bubbled over, where you have several Sixers who say that they have an issue with it, uh, and, and that's one thing. You know, they, they bring that to Doc Rivers, possibly other members of the organization. But then Doc Rivers decides to air out all that da- that dirty laundry, including mentioning the players who ha- took issue with it. Now, we don't know that list of players, but James Harden apparently found out who those players were. How I mean, that's just such a, a toxic environment that Rivers created at that moment. And, and is he to blame for the entire situation? Absolutely not, because clearly James Harden has uh, done his part to exacerbate an already iffy let's say situation but i mean how do you just throw your players under the bus like that that's kind of the big question uh as far as you know what to focus on here like and the fact that doc rivers was was later and you you can call it what it was i i mean i i reported earlier this year that uh there was a meeting after game seven between uh daryl maury doc rivers uh and also james harden where Harden informed Maury that he would not play for Doc Rivers next year. So I, I, I think for a lot of different reasons, we can see the writing on the wall here. But I mean, for a coach just to do that, have you heard of that before? Is that something you've seen across the league in your years paying attention, Andy? 
The the only recent example I can really think of is uh, the Clippers being upset with Kawhi for you know not showing up to practice, driving two hours away from from his home and uh, things like that. I think I think a few. I mean, maybe they didn't name specific players, but they did put that out there that the team and the players were equally upset that the stars were getting preferential treatment here. And yeah, that's it. That's the only recent example I can think of that even compares to this. And, you know, we, we've come to know that Doc Rivers is not the best at managing personalities. And he, he really kind of struck gold there with his Celtics run because they were all in their primes, but in, in the later tail end of their primes to where they accepted the team role they'd have to play to accomplish a singular goal. Um, honestly, it's kind of it's kind of amazing that he was able to reel Rondo in. Uh, looking back yeah. at that, <laughs> but yeah, I well, mean, I think it, kind of happened. the opposite of, of what you said about the veterans. There, you know, Rondo was so young at that time that uh, you know there, there is that, and he wasn't. It, this wasn't you know a guy who was a top ten pick coming out of the draft. You know, so right. I think that there is kind of a respect level for. Uh, the big three. And a lot of people go back and look at it as a big four, uh, but a respect level that he had, and he wasn't deferring to Doc so much as he was deferring to Paul Pierce, to Kevin Garnett, to Ray Allen. Uh, so I, I th- think that, like you said, it just the, the planets aligned perfectly for Doc Rivers in Boston. And that part in part explains why we haven't seen a, a replication of that success uh, and why we've we've even seen situations like this that become a little more explosive between his time yeah. in LA and in Philly. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the Clippers, you know, little era there ended the same way. No one was really happy by the end of it. Uh, I'm sure Chris Paul wouldn't give a ringing endorsement of Doc Rivers anymore. Uh, neither would Blake Griffin probably. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just not one of his strengths. And uh, you can see it in that, like, of course, what Harden did was wrong and probably needed to be addressed. Like uh, Ramona did say, it's not super uncommon for players to travel separately from the team for this or that reason. Um, but I'm sure enjoying the nightlife uh, as one of the top two players on the team with championship aspirations isn't yeah. going to sell well. And then after Rivers a loss to, to two interconference, uh, you know, rivals basically like that's it's it's the timing i would say more than anything else that just Mm -hmm. screams like hey maybe don't do it this one time you know and miami will (laughs) still be there the next time that you want to come but just for right now maybe you stick with the team maybe we focus on basketball and and riding the ship here so uh it's it's not surprising (laughs) yeah just this once just 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 this once that's it so uh, it's not surprising all of the uh, myriad of issues the Sixers had seen last season. He has more and more of these details come out uh, about how conflicted things were behind the scenes. Uh, the, and, and, and it's not that the love's not there between the players because it frankly is. I mean, granted, people had an issue with Harden in this particular decision, but you know, you look at, at the other players on the team and they still love the guy. They still want to bring him back. Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid. Uh, you know, and and then some have all spoken about wanting to bring him back and how they feel their best chance is with Harden. Joel Embiid did, in fact, invite, according to Shelburne, Harden to his wedding. I and I get 
hard in not wanting to attend the same event as Daryl Morey and other front office members, but uh, you know, they, they've done the right things as far as trying to bring him back. And uh, you know, they clearly have an interest in retaining him, not just Daryl Morey, but uh, not just the Sixers organization, but even the players like Joel and Tyrese. So uh, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. It, it does feel like the only way that it does get resolved is with an eventual trade. Eventual trade. It's just a matter of when is that actually going to happen. And frankly put, it's not until Daryl Morey feels that he gets an offer that he can uh, responsibly pull the trigger on. So uh, there's there's going to be a lot more of this hardened drama going on. This I don't feel is going away anytime soon. Maybe it gets resolved before the start of the season, but we're getting closer and closer. Uh, and, and each day I'm becoming a little less sure of that fact. But while there's a lot of bad news going on with this James Harden situation, a lot of drama, a lot of just, oh, I mean, Sixers fans are completely over it at this point, and I can't blame them. But there is a tiny little splash of good news, and that's in the Sixers' latest free agent move. And they brought in a veteran, a veteran sharpshooter, one who fans are pretty familiar with in Danny Green, who has now come back to the Sixers on a league minimum deal for one year. What do you expect from Danny Green as he enters his age? I want to say it's, is it his age 36 season? Uh, so yeah, his age 36 uh, season. So what, what do you expect coming off the ACL as we know uh, coming into his age 36 season? What do you expect uh, on off the court from Danny Green to impact this team? Um, I expect veteran leadership in the locker room um, and not much else. And I do think that if Philly is serious about competing, they shouldn't really expect that much from him either. I mean, if he's, you know, in their top eight come postseason time, it's probably bad news. I mean, he looked he looked well after his ACL injury. He played for the Cavaliers last season, even got some postseason run in there. Um, but for a team that desperately, desperately, desperately needed shooting in perimeter defense, which is kind of the things Danny Green is supposed to bring to the table, uh, he wasn't really able to get consistent run just because he's getting up there in age. And it, it might still be just injury rust, and we'll see with that. But he's 36 now, coming off a major injury. Um, he still brought the burner with him last season as he came back, shot over 43% from three, so... I'd, I'd expect to see him in some regular season runs as a shooting specialist, but I, I wouldn't expect much, unfortunately. Yeah, I, and I think I, I would phrase it as uh, his his biggest impact is going to come off the court. And I think that, that is something that the Sixers team sorely needs. You know, having uh, added a veteran like Patrick Beverly was a good step in the right direction. Uh, there's still P.J. Tucker, obviously, on this team. Tobias Harris is, is a largely unheralded leader of this team. Uh, Joel Embiid has an opportunity to step up once again. But to bring in a guy like Danny Green, who not only has, has been around for a long time, not only has won multiple championships, but has even spent time with this team before. And, you know, he is a Joel guy, and uh, he does have experience with Tobias Harris and, uh, and with this city, with this fan base. I think that in that regard – the addition is going to be, I don't want to say huge because it's you're signing a guy to a vet minimum, uh, but it is going to be far bigger than the uh, financial numbers would imply. 
And as far as on the court, I think that he will be a touch better than he was last season. And, and mostly in that, I mean, more consistent. Uh, you know, he, he has had more time to recuperate. He has had a full offseason since coming back from the ACL. Uh, is he going to be even what he was when he was in Philly last time? I Probably not. Uh, but I think he's going to be able to provide at least a little bit of shooting. And like you mentioned, the Sixers definitely need that, you know, real sorely. So uh, to, to have even a little bit of that, I'm not too sure about the defense at, at this point in his career. Uh, but at least, at least you're going to have a guy who you can rely upon for uh, an occasional spot up shot. So uh, to have him, they really didn't do anything to replace George Niang. This isn't ideal. It's not like a one for one. Uh, but it's definitely better than how they had addressed it previously. So that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for us, you know, the media guys, uh, it's definitely a big get because Danny Green provides fantastic yeah, for sure. sound bites and great quotes all the time. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to him this season, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, obviously he wasn't with the team last year, which was my first being down there uh, for all the uh, pre- and post-game moments, but – uh, this year, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I was sorry to see George Yang leave, partly for that reason, but replacing him with Danny Green is uh, that's a pretty good option if you ask me. So uh, that is actually something positive in the city of Philadelphia for the first time, at least in the basketball perspective. And I can't tell you how long. I mean, we went through the summer league months, and it was it was fine. But really, we've been living off Rico Hines highlights. Uh, this is this entire time from the Rico Hines runs. So it's been a very rough stretch through August into this beginning of September. More James Harden drama is sure to be on the horizon. However, now we do not have to go through that without Danny Green, which is definitely a bright spot. Sixers fans should be excited about Danny Green, uh, at least what he's going to be doing off the court for the team. And we'll see. Maybe he surprises you on the court as well. But uh, kind of a short one for us here today, but we just wanted to hit you guys with the facts, with a little bit of info. And again, we're just like you guys. We got to be working through these Sixers basketball demons just like everybody else. So for Andy, for myself, for everybody in Philadelphia, we are still processing. Let's go Sixers.